Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. Hannah Khan, a Pakistani-American author, has written a critically acclaimed book called Amina's Song, her second novel, that infuses the story of Amina with her own childhood experiences. More about Hannah's background and an interview I had with her coming up in about 15 minutes. But first, I spoke with sports columnist Art Teal. Art has been covering the national, northwest, and the Seattle sports scene for many years. I think over 40 years. He was sports columnist for the Seattle PI print edition and then the online edition until Art and Steve Rudman co-founded Sports Press Northwest. Now, the Mariners will be opening up this week with uh, the fans in the ballpark. thought it was a good time to talk about the Mariners. Also, how will the Mariners do this year, and what will be the hangover from the comments from former team president Kevin Mathers? Will it carry over to the players? And that's what Art had to, uh, he had some opinions on that. Then, of course, how about the Seattle Storm and the Seattle Sounders, both champions in this market for many years now? How are they going to fare this year? And I also asked Art his opinion, the big question, will Russell Wilson stay or go? He expressed his opinion on that subject, and he'll be talking about that too. In 2003, he wrote a book about the Seattle Mariners out of left field. I read it and highly recommend it. It was written during the Mariners' most successful run in franchise history between, that occurred between 1995 and 2003. He covers all the territory of the Mariners, though, going back to the beginning in 1977. His radio commentaries can be heard Saturday mornings and Friday afternoons on KPLU-FM 88.9. Arteel, coming up in just a moment. Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? Pre-Flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist. Well, you know, let's start there. How's it been for you, Art, in the last year or so, being a sports reporter? Well, I would have to say I've saved a lot of money and gas mileage, but the experience is stale. Um, I'm a fan of contact with subjects, you know, face-to-face, watch for the body language, the idea of interviewing people only by video conference or only by phone is dismaying and I think unhelpful. I'm not complaining. There's many other things that are worse in the world uh, than this, but in the specifics of journalism, I think every reporter is dismayed that there isn't the face-to-face interaction because if you're in somebody's presence, You can also talk to them off the record and interact with them in ways that are independent of the Q&A. So that's absent now. Do you think Russell Wilson will be back next year or not? I would say that he'll probably be back, but I certainly wouldn't uh, guarantee it because I think 
Russell violated one of Pete Carroll's uh, mantras, and that is to protect the team. And by going public with his complaints, and some of them, some of them are legitimate, especially about the absence of pass protection, um, he broke a rule. And, and it's not to say that that's a fireable offense, but it is putting the relationship between Carroll and Wilson in a position of awkwardness where it's never been. Having said that, I think both are smart, mature guys who can probably work through this, which is why I think Wilson will be back for the 2021 season. Well, talking about the Mariners, um, I want to start out with just the maybe optimistic note, and that would be their farm system. I've read in magazines and analysis across baseball that their farm system ranks anywhere from second to fifth, somewhere in there. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's true that they have accumulated uh, a lot of talent by trading veteran stars for prospects who seem to be working out. I mean, they already have some of those prospects at the major league level. They have other youngsters who aren't going to be there this year, but they are going to be pretty good from all indications so far. Again, we're talking prospects, so that means they haven't done squat at the major league level. But this year's 2021 team is going to be populated by several of those players, and so we're starting to see it happen. But as optimistic as that might sound, we've been waiting for 43 years. <laughs> and it, it is, I think, for a long time fans, it's very tiresome to hear management at the Mariners say, well, we've got talent in the pipeline. It's coming. Just hang on. Please be patient. I don't want to have that long-time cynicism compromise the observations about this year's team because I do think it's got some potential what is our Achilles heel going into this year? Uh, it's going to be the bullpen. They just don't have a collection of guys there that are major league caliber. Well, possible exception, Rafael Montero is their closer. He pitched at Texas pretty well last year. He might be a solid guy. The other guys are, you know, prove it or just downright mediocre. I uh, just want to visit the Kevin Mathers situation just for a moment, not get all caught up in that. Sure. And that is, uh, you know, his comments obviously were very ill-timed and, and really caused a lot of rancor within the Mariners. My question, you've been visible. You've interviewed players over the last decades. You get to know them up close and personal. Is this sort of thing, is there going to be a hangover here into the season? Or are these guys professional and they'll put it behind them? I think they probably already have. Uh, it's not, since he's gone, you know, uh, there, he's not going to be a physical presence there. And most athletes, most of the time, especially young ones, are all living in the moment. They're thinking about, in baseball, the next pitch, the next fly ball, the next stolen base, whatever. And so they don't dwell on this. But I do think in the moments when they have to turn their thoughts towards the business of baseball and contracts and options to play in certain places, I do think Mather's basically bigoted remarks and ignorant remarks, uh, an overall contemptuous way he spoke of the players, is going to linger, certainly with agents and with some of the veteran players, and it's going to be 
an unforced error on the Mariners part. It's something that didn't need to be, but I do think it's another black mark against the Mariners organization for having a guy linger this long at the top of the chain who held these views. Art, what do you think about, it's like every year we have um, daylight savings time and everybody says, why do we do this? Well, now we're hitting, again, baseball, and you start seeing articles written about speeding up the game. And it seems like we always talk about it, but nothing really happens. I think the only thing that I've seen basically is like the intentional walk, which really does nothing. And they've talked about certain things that uh, the you know batter stays in the batter's box, and then they're talking about pitchers have to you know pitch a full inning and all these sorts of things. What are your thoughts on that? Because I do you, first of all, buy into that, they're losing fans or interest because the games are going so long. And secondly, what do you think about speeding up the game? It's a worthy topic of discussion. I think it's a secondary issue to be in baseball's problems. And I mean, yeah, okay, go ahead and make these changes because it doesn't, I don't think change, it doesn't alter the character of the game, but they're trying to catch people who can't be caught. That's just, not, I mean, young people, uh, have even shorter attention spans than when we were younger. <laughs> uh, the only thing they can do is appeal to those people who still like the game and maybe change the rules as they're considering to make them less analytics dependent because it's really changed the nature of the game. The change in baseball that has converted the game from a uh, hit-and-run, stolen base, play-the-percentages game to either a home run or a strikeout on offense. That's what's annoying, I think, most fans most of the time. And now we see in the defensive shifts that infields deploy a way to drop batting averages, the average batting average, by 30 to 40 points by uh, the defensive shifting, and now, and now they're experimenting with, in the minor leagues with ways to eliminate the shift because it has gotten so analytics-oriented that the game is robbed of its entertainment value, um, the strategy diminishes, and it becomes home run, strikeout, next batter. How about uh, other sports in Seattle coming this summer, the Storm, the uh, Sounders? And then this fall, the Kraken. First of all, the Storm. What what do you look for them to do this season? They've had to make uh, multiple roster changes, but the key people uh, are still going to be back. Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, Jewel Lloyd. They're still going to be a force. I don't think they're going to be as good as a year ago because they lost players through free agency. But I still think they're going to be a, a favorite for another championship. And, of course, they won their fourth uh, overall in 20 years and their second in three years last year in the WNBA bubble. Very impressive effort all the way through. They not only won it, they were a dominating team in the regular season and in the postseason. Good to hear. Sounders. They're a little bit more of a mystery. Uh, obviously, they made the MLS title game for the fourth time in five years last year, but they uh, gave away Jordan Morris. Or I should they didn't give him away, but they loaned him to a English Premier League team, and he uh, tore up his knee, uh, ACL. He's had surgery, and he will not be able to return to the Sounders this season. 
they're still going to be strong. Uh, they'll still be a contender, but it just won't be the same without Jordan Morris. I am sure they're going to make the playoffs because they have, for each of their years in existence, an amazing streak of consistency. I don't know that they're going to be as good as they were last year. Okay, and the Kraken? The biggest deal with the Kraken is finishing the arena. They actually are, you know, looks like they're going to pull it off, which is an amazing feat. It's going to be a major civic asset for Seattle because not only will it have, you know, the NHL's uh, regular season and playoffs, it will also be a concert venue that will be among the uh, premier places in the nation. So they're going to have 200 event dates a year at least, and uh, only uh, about a third of them are going to be sports events with the Kraken and the Storm, and maybe down the road, an NBA expansion franchise. Well, my thanks to Art Teal. If you would like to visit or subscribe to Sports Press Northwest, his website, all you need to do is Google Sports Press Northwest. Betty White has the longest career in television than any entertainer in history over 80 years and counting. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Betty White is most remembered for her roles in The Mary Tyler Moore Show and Golden Girls, spanning the late 70s into the early 90s. In 1954, she produced The Betty White Show, but the show faced criticism because it featured Arthur Duncan, an African-American performer as a regular cast member. Southern stations threatened to boycott the show unless Mr. Duncan was taken off the air. Betty White's response? I'm sorry, live with it, and promptly increased Mr. Duncan's role on the show. I'm Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and listen to more episodes of Time Travel. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. Hannah Khan is a Pakistani-American writer. Hannah lives in her hometown of Rockville, Maryland, with her basketball-loving family. Khan has written a critically acclaimed book, Amida's Song, and it is dedicated to exclusively featuring Muslim characters. She has visited Pakistan and uh, had some interesting stories to share with me about what that was like and also growing up Muslim in America. I, my first question would be, how much of Amina's Song is your story? I would say a fair amount of it um, in the sense that I like Amina. Uh, took a trip when I was in middle school to Pakistan to visit relatives who I hadn't seen in many years. And uh, like her, I was completely overwhelmed in a good way by the experience, um, connecting with my relatives and, and this place and falling in love with it. And then coming home and feeling like I wanted to share the magic and beauty of this country that I had gotten to know so well. And I felt like people here didn't really either have the interest or didn't have the understanding and had their own preconceived ideas of what Pakistan was like. So I drew heavily from that when, when writing the story. So you yourself were educated by going back to the homeland, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like many kids, you know, um, you know it, was, it was sort of straddling that 
discomfort, you know, being raised as an American and not being fluent in the language and not knowing some of the, the cultural nuances and feeling sort of out of place there, but also returning back home and, and feeling out of place here too, because I had another side of me that I felt like other people didn't see um, or pay as much attention to as I wanted them to. What would you say then the biggest myths are about, let's say, Pakistan that Americans hold? And then, let's say, when you visited Pakistan and spent time there, about what they have about Americans? Well, and, and, you know, I'm going to experience this too. I think one of the biggest misperceptions is that Pakistan is, you know, very um, monolithic or uniform, you know, that everybody there is, is, you know, poor or living in a village or are dealing with circumstances like Malala, who she decides to do a school project on. Um, they don't realize that there's, you know, a vibrant middle class, um, you know, a lot of very educated and successful people there, uh, a lot of culture and, um, you know, innovation. So I think that's, that's what's missing. Um, and I think people there, you know, I think people there really have a lot of, a lot of affection for America. I think, you know, like in so many parts of the world, American culture is, you know, admired and um, imitated. But I think people there, you know, worry about um, what they hear about Muslims in America maybe being unwelcome or, or not treated well. I think they worry about things like gun violence and, and things that unfortunately do make international headlines. On a scale of 1 to 10, let's say, in your experience in living, growing up in America, what is our big block that we have that we just don't understand about the Muslim culture? I think the fact that people seem to see Islam as very different than other religions. I don't think people realize that Islam is part of the Abrahamic tradition, that our religion is very much rooted to Christianity and Judaism, and a lot of our beliefs are very similar. And I think because people focus on things like you know, the fact that we use Arabic in our prayers, the fact that we have a physical movement that we use during our prayers. That's what you always see on television, right? Muslims praying in, in congregation and kneeling and prostrating. And, and it, it seems different and foreign. Uh, I think people don't realize how many Muslims have been in America for generations and have helped build this country. Um, and I think we need to focus more on, on all the things we, we really do have in common instead of trying to make us seem or focusing on the things that make us seem um, very different or alien in some way. Do you think the media and, let's say, movies and TV shows, it's entertainment. So people have to entertain and, and either entertain or strike fear or something like that. So that is the storyline. Do you think that's a lot of it? I think that definitely plays a role. You know, growing up, we were so starved for Muslim representation that we were excited at anything that we saw. And it took a while for me to recognize myself, like how much of the representation was truly awful, you know, in terms of presenting the Muslim as a, an extremist or, you know, people of my background, South Asian people, you know, being reduced to, you know, taxi drivers and 7-Eleven owners and, you know, sort of side characters um, for comic relief at times. Um, the accents being mocked and things like that. And, you know, I do think there's the entertainment value for sure, but there has to be a bit of responsibility and I think, um, you know, fairness in representing people. And, and of course, the, the American Muslim community, the South Asian American community is 
so diverse. It's, like I said, been here for a long time and contributing. So it's nice to see things slowly changing. And we do see, you know, better character development, more, you know, central roles featuring people like me. But it's taking time. And I think people need, need to, you know, recognize that people are hungry for that. And I see that with my books as well, that people welcome stories that are nuanced and, and layered and, and really dig deep into it you know, who people are. You also mentioned is that you want to create an unapologetic Muslim characters. Do you think you've achieved that? I hope so. Um, For me, that really is a huge goal because I think Muslim children really deserve to see themselves that way. Um, They deserve to be the heroes in stories, the protagonists, you know, um, central to their own story rather than, like I said before, like a sidekick or an afterthought. Um, and I feel like as important as it is for them to be, to feel seen and to be validated, I think it's just as important for non-Muslims or people outside of the faith to see, or their culture, to see uh, people who are different from them be centered in stories and, um, you know, have the spotlight and to look at things from their point of view and, and hopefully find some commonality along the way. How much of the United States have you traveled? Over the last few years, I've had the chance to travel a lot more. Um, I've been, you know, just as I've been touring books and and visiting schools across the country, I've gotten to some places I hadn't been before, like Ohio and Missouri and um, Minneapolis. So I've gotten, you know, to see a fair amount of the country. I'm hoping to see more once we can be traveling again. Has your experience been a good one when you travel? Yeah, it's been amazing. I have to say that, you know, for... For all that we hear about, you know, the divisions in our country and, and you know, all the tension that does exist, and, you know, I, I, I would travel sometimes with a little bit of nervousness, um, but I have overwhelmingly been met with so much love and, you know, warm welcomes. I've talked to thousands of kids, you know, across the country and met educators and, you know, people who are just really committed to children and to storytelling and to opening up people's hearts and minds. And, you know, I feel very hopeful as a result of that experience. And, you know, whenever things are terrible in the news, you know, I think about those experiences because they, they really do give me a lot of hope. That's really good to hear. And the two states that you mentioned, Ohio and Missouri, are the more conservative states in the country. And you had good experiences there, I take it. Yeah, amazing. And, and what's also amazing to see is that wherever I travel, um, you know, I'm sometimes surprised to, to see and meet, you know, Muslim kids everywhere I go to who are so excited to have someone like me come to their school and talk about my experiences, you know, growing up in the U.S., but also as an author. And to just to let kids of all backgrounds see that someone like me, you know, someone who's brown and a minority in America can, can you know, get published and, and have a platform and share stories. Um, so that, that's been really encouraging for me, too. Oh, great to hear. So about your book, what would you like to, people to take away from your book? Uh, well, this is actually a sequel. So Amina's Song continues uh, the story of Amina um, from Amina's voice. And, um, you know, it's really about her continuing to grow. Um, like I said, like sort of cha- challenging narratives that people have heard about somebody like her and, and her, her, the country of her heritage. It's really a story of community and, and friendship and, and about how kids can make a difference if they try, you know, using their voices and the skills they have, um, even at a young age. So what I really hope is that people will feel connected to Amina and her story and, and hopefully 
think of the world a little more critically and maybe question some of the things that they hear about people who are different from them. Excellent. I really appreciate your time and, and good luck in the future. And hopefully our paths will cross. And I hope you make it out to the great Northwest, the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California. I would love it. That's, I would love it so much. It's one of my favorite regions. It's so, so beautiful. My thanks to Hannah Kahn for joining us today. You can learn more about Hannah Kahn and her books by visiting her website at hannahkahn.com. And that's capital H-E-N-A, capital K-H-A-N.com. One more time, capital H-E-N-A, capital K-H-A-N.com. If you didn't get this, you can call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166, and I'll get you that information. But I'm going to give her website out one more time. HannahKahn.com, capital H-E-N-A, capital K-H-A-N.com. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. My thanks to Art Teal and Hannah Kahn for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. And again, if you would like to get in touch with Art Teal through his website, all you need to do is input Sports Press Northwest. And again, I just talked about Hannah Kahn's book. You can also just Google Hannah Kahn and you will go to her site. And that's Hannah, H-A-N-A, Kahn, K-H-A-N. What else? Uh, let's see. Any comments about the show today, what you heard? If you'd like to make a comment about it or anything else that's going on, you can uh, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. Keep your comments to, um, to a minimum so I can get it on the air. That's 425-653-1166. And also just want to let you know again, and I say this often on the show, I do interview people I'm very interested in, and I do not get any promotional fees on this show Again, I just go after people I think are quite interesting and they have a lot to say, and um, I hope you do too. My interview with Art Teal, we talked about the Seattle Mariners, and um, I just wanted to let you know again, in the interest of full disclosure, that I'm a part owner of the Tacoma Rainiers, which is affiliated with the Seattle Mariners. It's part of the old Pacific Coast League, and now it is the AAA West. And we open up in early May, so that will be kind of fun. And, uh, oh, quote of the week, too. I want to give that before we go. This is very, very timely. I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction. The world will have a generation of idiots. Albert Einstein.